good morning. Uh, again, my name's Corey Burkhead, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if this is your first time, I am uh, just, to, just to let you know, I am not the head pastor here. I'm the associate pastor here at River City, Pastor Jason uh, has given me the honor of getting to speak to you guys this morning, but Pastor Jason will start a brand new series next week on the book of Judges, and so we're really excited about that, and I just want to encourage anyone uh, and everyone to please make sure you're here for this. It's going to be a powerful series, and Pastor Jason has actually been planning this series since spring, and so it's really exciting uh, to see him finally get to, you know what, lay out his messages, plan them all out, and, and see where he's going to be leading us uh, over the next few weeks. How many of you, though, enjoyed our series, One Word? Was that not an awesome series? I thought that was absolutely great. Uh, I thought it was so incredible getting to hear the, about the, the, the message, the vision that God has given our pastor and what it is that he has, you know, instructed us as a church to do, what we are supposed to look like as a church. And I just think it's absolutely great because Pastor Jason talked about about, you know, the, the, the main things that we want to achieve. You know, we want to be a church of hope. We want to, uh, you know, create non-religious environments. We want to be a place of spiritual growth. And it's just been absolutely great to, to hear Pastor Jason talk about the vision and the mission that God has placed on his heart. And I'm so excited to see not just how it impacts our church, but I'm excited to see how our church impacts this community because I believe it's going to be truly, truly amazing to see what happens in this next year. Um, as Pastor Jason was speaking last week, he was speaking on uh, spiritual growth, and he shared with us the story of Peter stepping out of the boat to go see Jesus. And it really is an incredible story because as Peter steps out of the boat, he begins to walk on water. But then what happened, well, uh, Peter saw the waves, okay? He steps out of the boat. There's a storm going on. He sees Jesus. He steps out of the boat. And he begins to see these waves brush up and hit him, and he took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. Uh, and just as that happens, Jesus reaches out to Peter, and Peter takes his hand, and Jesus pulls him out of the water. And it's actually, it really is an incredible story. And as I thought about the story and thought about the times uh, in my life that Jesus has called me to step out of the boat, and I responded, it's been exhilarating. But if I'm being honest... I've never really enjoyed the times in my life where I've felt like I'm sinking. I've never enjoyed that part. Because if I'm being honest, uh, it never really feels like I'm just sinking. It, it feels more like I'm drowning. It feels like I'm in over my head. Not only that, but in the story of Peter stepping out of the boat, the Bible tells us in verse 30 that it was then that he began to sink. And then in 31, it says that Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. But sometimes, and I say sometimes, it doesn't seem like Jesus is immediately there. Sometimes when we step out of the boat and we're sinking, it feels like we're turning and we're not seeing Jesus. We don't hear him. We don't feel him. And it can be terrifying. Don't get me wrong. I've prayed to God. I've prayed to God about certain situations, and that day or that week, he's, uh, he's there helping me. He's there coming through. He's responding to everything I've talked to him about. But then there are times where it feels like he's nowhere to be found. Does anyone here know what I'm talking about? Have you ever stepped off the boat, taken a leap of faith, thought you'd be walking on water just to find yourself feeling like you're drowning? 
Maybe, you, maybe your step off the boat was, you know, uh, you going after that promotion, and you got it, and now you feel like you're in over your head. Maybe it was, you know what, uh, applying for a college. You had this college, this idea of what school, uh, as to what your career would be like, and you're, you're off in college, you're doing it, and you feel like you're in over your head. You feel like things aren't going as, as wonderful as you were hoping or thinking that they would. Maybe, maybe you can say that with your marriage. Maybe you, take a, maybe you took a huge step of faith. And you stepping off the boat was you confessing something to your spouse. And you thought it would make your marriage better, but things have actually gotten a lot harder. You were hoping that the, your spouse would respond differently. You were hoping that they would be okay by now with what you told them, but things are still just hard. And you're still trying to work things out. And what's unfortunate is that, you know, we thought that we were doing the right thing. We thought we were doing everything right. How many of us have kids where we thought, you know, like we were raising them the right way? We thought we were introducing them to God the right way. We thought we were doing everything the right way. But now our kids have no interest in God and they hardly ever want to listen to us. And we feel like we're in our, over our heads again. We feel like that we have no control. We feel like we're turning to God, trying to figure out how do we handle this situation? How do we instruct our children? How do we get through this? But unfortunately, we're, we're looking for Jesus, and he's not immediately responding. We were obedient to God. We, we stepped out of the boat, and here we are with water up to our necks, and we can't help but ask ourselves, why did I ever step out of the boat? We begin to question everything. Was Jesus calling me to do this? Did I, did I hear him wrong? Did I step out too soon? I, I know this is what God wants me to do, but I, did I do it at the right time? Did I do it the right way? Did I do something wrong? I think is what a lot of us ask. Did I do something wrong? Man, I, I know I've made some mistakes. I've, I've got some faults. And so has God now abandoned me? Is the promise that he, that he gave me by stepping out of the boat and blessing me, is, is he taking that away? And I think what it all leads to is this question. Is Jesus mad at me? Did I, did I do something to make him mad? Did I do something that wasn't his will? What have I done? Because again, here we are. We did what we thought Jesus called us to do, but things feel worse than ever. If you can relate to any of this, I want to share with you a scripture right now that I believe many of us are crying out to God. And it's in Psalms 119, verse 116. It says this, Lord, sustain me as you promised that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. I feel like right now some of us are in this very situation where this is, you know, we've never been able to really put into words how we're feeling right now. We've never been able to put in words exactly what it is that we're crying out to God. But this right here, I believe, can sum it up. Sustain me as you promised. Don't let my hope be crushed. Don't let what I was hoping for when I stepped out of the boat be crushed. Don't let this dream that you placed on my heart be crushed. Think about that word right there for a second, sustain. Think about it. It means to strengthen. It means to support. I believe there are many of us right now who need this more than ever. 
Because we stepped out of the boat, we stepped out on faith, and we feel like we're just ready to collapse. We feel like we can't get a grip. We feel like we can't gain traction. We feel like there's, there's nothing good going for us right now, and we just feel so weak. And look at that second line, do not let my hope be crushed. We just got done with the whole series talking about hope, and it can certainly make you feel good. But then when something happens unexpected, when things don't go exactly as we had planned, it's easy for us to feel like, you know what, our dreams or our hope or, or what we thought was going to happen is no longer going to happen. Our dreams become crushed. Our hope all of a sudden disappears. And we're left feeling weak. And we're left feeling like, you know what, maybe the promise God gave me, maybe it wasn't a promise. Maybe I heard, wrong, heard God wrong. Again, maybe I did something to make him mad. We're left asking these questions. So what do we do? What do we do in the meantime? Because for, for Peter, it was in verse 30 that, that Peter began to sink. But then in verse 31, it was Jesus who immediately responded. The title of today's message is In Between. What do we do in between verses 30 and 31 while we're waiting for Jesus to reach out to us? And as I've tried to answer this question, I couldn't help but think about Moses leading God's people uh, out of Egypt and to the promised land. Here we have a group of people who stepped out and chose to follow Moses to a land they were told would be flowing with milk and honey. And reaching the promised land, they'd have to go through 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Here we have a group of people, of God's people, who were, who were given a promise that if they were to step out and follow Moses, follow the plan God has laid out before them, they would reach their destination. But little did they know how long it would take them to get there. Little did they know the, the trials that they were about to face. And, and I feel like as if we were to today just kind of look at the experiences that they had, we would know exactly what we need to do in the meantime because they did reach the promised land. Not all of them. But some of them, those who followed the instructions I'm about to give you today, reached the promised land. And I want to encourage you because here's the thing. Maybe you're in a place right now where you feel like you've stepped out on faith and things aren't really going as you had planned or as you had hoped. Maybe you thought you've been doing everything right. Maybe you thought you were raising your kids the right way. You were handling your finances the right way. Your, your marriage was being handled the right way. But for whatever reason right now, it feels like everything is sinking. It feels like everything is, you know what, underwater. You can't breathe. You're exhausted. You're tired of trying to survive. Today, the three things I'm going to give you will help you reach the very place that you are trying to get to. And so I'm so excited. So again, what do we do in the meantime? The first thing that we have to do in the meantime while we're waiting to get to where God has promised us is this, is that we have to believe that where we are, where you are, isn't where your story will end. In the book of Exodus 14, 10 through 14, uh, we're about to jump into that. But before we do, I want you to give you an idea as to what's going on right now. God has placed on Moses this, this mission, this idea that, listen, if you are to go to Pharaoh and free my people who have been slaves for hundreds of years, 
you are going to lead them to the promised land. So Moses does this. He goes and he does exactly as God uh, commands him. He does everything that God tells him to do. And eventually, finally, Pharaoh lets his people go. He lets uh, Moses take God's people into the wilderness. And what happens is, is as they are finally leaving, as as they are finally being set free, okay, they're following Moses. But what happens is, is Pharaoh changes his mind. No one saw that coming, but Pharaoh changes his mind, and then all of a sudden, uh, he's chasing after God's people. And as he's chasing after God's people, they reach a dead end. They come across the Red Sea. They reach this huge body of water. And as they do, they become terrified. And in Exodus 14.10, it says, As Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves in Egypt, uh, uh, to the Egyptians. Uh, it's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. These people right now at this point are saying, listen, why did we ever step out and do this? Why did we ever embark on this journey? Because right now, it seems like it would have been a better idea to stay where we were at. Where we were at, we knew uh, what was going to happen Monday through uh, Friday. We knew what the weekends looked like. We knew what our jobs were. We knew exactly uh, that, listen, even though we were slaves, we knew exactly the, the, the days that were planned out. We, we knew how everything was. We were comfortable. We were sort of safe. And now that they've been set free, but are coming up against something that they didn't expect to happen, they're wanting to go back. How many times do we do that? How many times do we, whenever, you know what, we've, we've stepped out on faith, maybe we've uh, tried to achieve something, and we hit a bump in the road, or you know what, it feels like things aren't going as planned, do we think to ourselves, man, it would have been so much better if we went back to the way things were? I wish I'd never gotten this promotion. I wish I had just stayed at where I was in this company. I wish, you know what, that we had never, you know what, uh, decided to to get or to invite Jesus into our lives because, you know what, the the truth is things are getting harder. I want to go back to the way things were where I knew exactly who I was. I knew exactly how to handle things. It says this in verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Again, God's people have just been set free from Egypt. And they're following Moses. And they're terrified. They're scared. Again, why did we ever do this? Why did we ever embark on this? But look at what Moses tells them. He tells them to not Be afraid to be still. And he promises them that the Lord will rescue them. Not only that, but he tells them that God will fight for them, that all they need to do is just stay calm. Right after this, God parted the waters for his people and he rescued them that day. And I think to myself, how terrible would it have been if just before witnessing God's miracle that day, the people turned around and went back? How terrible would that have been to miss out on that miracle, to miss out on God rescuing them from that very situation? 
How many of us right now are at a point where we're asking ourselves or thinking to ourselves, I think it might be a better, a better idea to, you know what, just go back to the way things were. Go back to what was comfortable. Go back to what is predictable. Go back to the things that we're familiar with. I want to tell you exactly what Moses told them. Don't be afraid. Be still. Don't go back to the way things were. Watch God rescue you. The Lord himself will fight for you. That's what he tells them. And that, that truth is the same today as it was then. God is fighting for you. God is fighting for you in the situation that you're in. God is fighting for you uh, in, the, in the circumstances that you're facing. He is fighting for you. Just stay calm. As hard as it might be, just stay calm. Because here's the thing I would hate. I would hate for any of us to miss out on the miracle that God has planned for us because we decided to turn around and go back to the way things were, to go back to what was familiar. The second thing that we have to do in the meantime is we have to learn how to avoid the quick fix. And this is so important. We have to learn how to avoid the quick fix because uh, Moses, as he was leading these people, there was constantly times where, where the people just wanted to go back home or, or they didn't like the way things were being done. And sometime later, as Moses was leading God's people through the wilderness, they came to a stop, and Moses went to the top of a mountain to speak to God. And it turned out that Moses would be gone longer than the people had expected, which began to worry them. Again, what's happened now is they've, they've stepped out on faith. They're following Moses through the wilderness. They're in the in-between of where they were and the promise God has for them. And they've reached a point where they're no longer really feeling God. They're no longer feeling his presence. They're no longer fe feeling or seeing where he could be guiding them or leading them. And the people begin to get scared. They get, they get worried. And they decide to try and take the situation into their own, hand, uh, own hands. In Exodus 32.1, it says this, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Again, when the people felt like God was no longer there, they searched for a quick fix, something that made them feel good, safe, and secure. They took what they had, and they made it into something that they felt like, you know what, would make them feel comfortable, make them feel okay, something that they could worship. Because again, they couldn't see God, they couldn't feel him, they, you know what, they, they didn't know what was going on there, they're just scared right now. And so they were looking for a quick fix, something that they could control. It was about two years ago when we decided to take the youth group to Melissa Manning's cabin uh, at her lake. And, and before heading down there, she gave us uh, a list of directions uh, and her phone number. Now, these directions were very specific on how to get down there. But she told me that if, if for whatever reason I got lost, to call her. Well, uh, what happened was is we were driving down there. And we had been driving for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And uh, until it finally became obvious 
to everyone else because I already knew for about 30 minutes we were lost. Uh, we had no, I had no idea where we were going. My wife kept saying, do you know where you're going? I'm like, yeah, I know where I'm going. And then finally the students were like, Corey, you're lost. Like, you know, I mean, like that, that's, that's what's going on. You got a van of teenagers just screaming to you like you are lost. And so what, that's what's going on here at this moment. And my wife, my wife told me to call Melissa because Melissa told me to do that. But instead, I said, honey, this is why God made the iPhone. And so instead of going off a piece of paper and, you know, that was, you know like MapQuest, the old, the old days type of deal, I decided to get my iPhone and put in the, the address on my GPS. So I did that. And after another hour of driving uh, and a few creepy gravel roads, I decided to finally call Melissa. And Melissa got me there in 15 minutes. And my wife has never let that go. But anyways, neither have my students. But uh, it, it just amazes me, though, because as I think back on that, and it's, it's something small, yes. It was my iPhone. That, my iPhone was my quick fix. It was what I was comfortable with. I didn't want to call anyone. I didn't want to rely on anyone else. I just wanted to handle it my own way. You know, I'm in a, in a van with screaming teenagers. Uh, you know, my wife keeps telling me, do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? And I'm just kind of like, yes, I do now. And so I just, I went to what was comfortable. I went to what I knew. I thought I knew that, I thought that this would get me through. I thought that this would help me get to where I was trying to go. Let me ask you this. When it feels like God isn't there, do you stay calm and still, or do you look for a quick fix? My iPhone, again, at the time was my quick fix and my way of trying to handle it by myself. But what are, but what are some other things that we expect to be quick fixes? Well, I think the first thing that, or the most, the thing that we put at the top of the list being a quick fix is if I only had more money. If I only had more money, things would be so much easier. If I only had more money, I would be out of debt. I'd have the, the house I want and I could afford whatever makes me happy. I think other quick fixes are, are uh, our, our relationships. You know what, if I can't rely on God, then I'm going to rely on people. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but let me tell you again, people will let you down. And after they've let you down, they will continue to let you down. But let me tell you this right now, that even though you might be feeling like God has let you down because he's not immediately responding, I want you to know right now that God is there. God is there. God is there to support you. God is trying to help you get through this situation. Another quick fix, I think, is work or job hopping. You know, how many of us are, have been job hopping over the past five years, ten years, whatever it might be? Because you know what? We, we started working at this job. It was exciting. But now it's getting to be more of a challenge. Or maybe it's the people. Maybe it's the people that just keep getting on your nerves. You can't stand the people you work with. So you just keep trying to find a place where you feel like, you know what, this is, this is where I should be at. We try to fix this situation by taking it into our own hands. Quick fixes aren't quick fixes. They're our way of taking control. And it's when we try and take control that we make poor decisions. Let me tell you right now, this iPhone analogy, this example, it's just something so small, but I can't tell you how many times in my life I've tried to come up with a quick fix, and it's just got me in more trouble because I didn't stay faithful, because I didn't, I didn't you know what, say, wait, I'm going to be still right now. Because my wife will tell you, I am the least patient person on the face of the earth. I don't care if you say you are. I am the least patient person. If, if I'm at Walmart... The U-scans better be open because I can't stand it when they're not. But again, that's something so small. There are so many big things in our lives that we try to rush to fix, don't we? 
We try to fix our marriage and we want it to be fixed today. We try to fix our finances and we want it to be fixed today. We try and fix the, you know, relationships or friendships that have, you know, struggled or, or been through something and we want it to be fixed today. But that's not the way things work. Quick fixes aren't fixes. The third thing that we have to do in the meantime while we're in the in-between is we must obey what God says even when it doesn't make sense to. Even when it feels like it might not make sense to, we must obey God. When God's people finally reach the promised land, okay, when, when God's people who were, who were slaves in Egypt had gone through the wilderness and finally reached the, the, the promised land, God told them that they would have to fight for it due to the people who were already living there. The first uh, place they would have to fight for was Jericho. And Jericho was this city, and it was very well protected by these strong walls placed around the whole city. But in Joshua 5.13, Joshua, the man who is now leading God's people because Moses had passed away, he uh, meets a man, something happens, and he is told just how to destroy the wall so he can finally, along with God's people, take the promised land that they had been told about when they first started this whole journey. And it says in Joshua 5.13, it says that when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. In chapter 6, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut, because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. I want you to think about this for a second. God's people have waited for 40 years to reach to reach the promised land, to reach where they are standing right now. And God is telling them that they have to wait seven more days before they can actually take it. Again, I'm the least patient person in the world. You're standing there and you've got the commander of the Lord's army with you. I'm th- I'm, I don't know about you, but I would probably be thinking, okay, why don't we just go ahead and blast this wall down? Why don't we just go ahead and charge in? Why don't we just go ahead and do this now, today? Because again, me personally, I don't, I, I don't like to wait but he wants them to march and shout also. Like, I get it. It was probably a scare tactic, like, you know, circling the building or circling Jericho and, and shouting. Like, that was ways of, of letting your enemy know that you're coming, to letting them know that you're, you're ready to do battle. But at the same time, it just seems kind of odd, doesn't it? To have to do all these things before getting to finally reach the promise God has for you. I mean, they've been walking through the wilderness for 40 years. And they're having to wait longer. And in Joshua 6, 12, it says, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. 
The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this town. And in Joshua 6.20, we're jumping down a little bit, it says that when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. What would have happened if they didn't do exactly as God had told them? What if they didn't wait seven more days? What if they didn't march around the city? What if they never shouted? Do you think the walls would have still fallen? The answer is no. What has God been trying to get you to do that just doesn't make sense? What has God been trying to get you to do that you're just not wanting to do right now because you're in a hurry? You're trying to get things figured out right now. Is it tithe? Do you feel like God has been trying to get you to tithe, even though right now it doesn't make sense financially to do that? At the end of the month, you can barely pay the bills, and God wants me to tithe? What about forgive someone? Maybe someone in your life hurt you worse than anyone has ever hurt you. And right now, you feel like God is wanting you to forgive them, even though it doesn't make sense to, even though they're the ones who wronged you. Maybe it's confessing something. Maybe your marriage is finally doing okay. Maybe, maybe you and your spouse are finally not arguing anymore, but you know that there's something you've got to confess, and you are terrified because you don't know how they're going to handle it. You're scared of what might happen. You're scared of how they might respond. You're scared to mess things up. You're scared that it'll ruin things. Here's what I know. It's that you'll never fully have what God wants you to have until you fully do what God wants you to do. You'll never fully have what God wants you to have until you fully do what God wants you to do. God's people choosing to follow Moses into the wilderness was their way of stepping out of the boat. And just like you and I, there were times where maybe, you know what, they wondered, where is God? There were times where they asked, why did I ever do this? And despite all the times they wanted to quit, all the times they wanted to turn their backs on God, they continued to trust that God would get them to the promised land, that God would get them to where they wanted to go, to where they were hoping to be. And he did. Where are you hoping that God will take you? Where are you hoping God will take your marriage? Where are you hoping God will take your kids? Where are you hoping God will take your, your finances or your job or your career? As I think about the times I've stepped out of the boat and taken that leap of faith, as struggles have come my way, I have learned that if I'm going to put my trust in God's promise, I must also trust God's process. I feel like a lot of us, we step out of the boat because, you know what, we see God's promise and we're like, man, I, that, I believe that. I, that sounds great. I trust in that because that looks good. 
But what happens is when we get, step out of that boat and we begin to go through the process, all of a sudden, we begin to question things. And we begin to question God and we, we sometimes can unfortunately stop trusting him. We trusted the, the promise because the promise sounded amazing. The promise was exactly what we wanted, but the process is not something we're too crazy about because it's taking longer than we thought. We're in over our heads, it seems like, at times. And God is asking us to do things that just don't make sense. Again, if I'm going to put my trust in God's promise, I must trust God's process. Maybe you stepped out of the boat a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, and things haven't gone as planned. I want to encourage you because as long as you believe that where you are now isn't where your story will end, as long as you avoid quick fixes, and as long as you obey God, even when it doesn't make sense, God will lead you to a place greater than what you could ever imagine. God will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will support you, and he will not let your hope be crushed. Let's pray.